Hey guys, welcome to the Last Set Podcast. Now, today I'm joined by Chris Dawkins. Man, how you doing? I'm going good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I mean, it's good to have you on here as well. It's a lovely Easter weekend. And so, we met uh, back in August around last year and all that, when I was doing my last show in the uh, stripping industry. And then I was like, oh, that's a big motherfucker. <laughs> and I'd always see you around here and there, but now yeah. briefly, like... There's always when you, just before you meet someone, you have your perceptions about someone, and then when you finally talk to them, and then you not get to know them, I was like, oh. And then my perception of you was this man knows some shit. This man's been through some ropes. So, yeah. uh, without further ado, let's give the audience give them give them a little bit of introduction about yourself. Oh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me here, bro. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so yeah, 29 years old. I'm studying. A, I'm in my final semester at Curtin, doing a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Um, I'm also doing acting, um, yeah, just very artistic, um, yeah, yeah, pretty much, that's, yeah. And you've come through a long journey just to get to where you are yeah, right for now. Sure, for sure. So, this isn't, uh, this is sort of public information and all that, I just wanted to dive a bit into it because I've been doing this uh, podcast now for, this is episode 124, I've been doing this two years, yep. so... Now I've had about roughly fifty something guests here and there, uh, and last night as everything I do, I like to do is I like to prep. I like to make sure I have a few questions to go and all that. Do a little bit of research, and you sent me an article last night, and I was absolutely blown away. <laughs> so uh, you can tell them from you can tell the audience from your own perspective. Yeah, basically, um, in two thousand and nineteen, I was nominated um, for the Young Achiever Award in Vic Park. Uh, in the arts and culture because I was doing a project around my experience in prison because mm -hmm. um, I got out of prison in 2017. Uh, I went in in 2000, at the end of 2015. And so, yeah, I was doing this art project all around that experience and got nominated for this award. I, I was just a finalist in the end. I didn't win or anything, but still it was like a quite a big milestone for me to like even be up there. It yeah. is. I'm not even that, but how many contestants were in that uh, contest, you know? Um, I'm not too sure how many there were. Um, I think there was like, for each uh, category, there was two or three people. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And what what did you have to do like specifically for the art competition? Was it like producing, was it fine art? Was it yeah, okay. it, was a, it was a project, an art project that I was working on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And when did you start this? Um, so I was doing it at uni. I started it uh, in the middle of 2019. Uh, 2019. Um, yeah, it was kind of like a performance project and I like dressed myself up in the greens. I, I saw this guy in the US who did a very similar thing. He'd like dress himself up in what he wore in prison and like just wear it out into these public places. Um, I guess just trying to create a conversation around it and not make it something that's like so, I don't know, taboo um, okay. to talk about. Yeah. 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 So... Was is this uh, uh, was art always something that you've been interested in, or is it something that you stumbled upon in your life? Look, it was something I stumbled upon. Prior to prison, I never really considered myself a creative. Um, but I was very fortunate whilst I was in there. Um, my celly Compton, shout outs to Compton if he's listening to this. Um, he was he kept coming back to the cell and he'd be like going over these lines and I'd be like, what, what's this all about? And he's like, can you help me? And so I'd help him out, help him rehearse these lines. And he's like, oh, you got to come into the check out this drama program. And I just I laughed at him, bro, because in 
high school, I would not get up to do the speeches. Like I, I would take a fail over getting up to do a speech because I'd just be like shaking, like just so anxious, bro. Um, but you know, being in prison, it's a bit like Groundhog Day. You know, you wake up every day, do the same thing. It's just the same thing every day. So one day, I don't know. I was like, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna check this thing out and see what it's all about. Just do try something different, you know. And I got in there. We were just doing funny accents and like playing around with characters and stuff. And I was like, this is sick. Like this is fucking sick. Um, and just fell in love, bro. And we put on this play. It was a Monty Python play, kind of like lots of little scenes. Good choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good choice. Lots of scenes from Monty Python put together. And we put on a performance for like 100 prisoners and I was shitting myself, man. Because wow. like one of the roles I was playing was like a girl and I was like, fuck, like these <laughs> tough cunts in jail are just going to think like, what the fuck is this cunt doing? Yeah. But then after we performed, like all these people were coming up to me like, bro, that was sick. I was laughing. Like that was hilarious. And I was like, bro, like this is amazing. Like I need to continue doing this once I got out once I get out. And anyway, that program ended up being cancelled. Why? Just due to funding. Oh. Um, yes, Circo, who runs Acacia Prison, they were going through. So just, just, I just need to answer a couple, ask a couple of burning questions yeah. because the people, the audience, I'm just putting myself from the audience perspective, but which prison prison were you in? Um, So you always start at, so I was, was at Mahakia and then I went to Acacia and then I finished up in Wandu. So like as you as you spend more time, like your security rating drops, you start off at high and then you work your way down to low. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. And the other thing was, what, what did you actually go to prison for, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. So back in my early 20s, I was like big festival head, going to every single music festival that came to Perth, like Stereosonic, Future Music, Summer Days, all of uh, those, bro. Oh, my girlfriend would love you. She, <laughs> was like, yeah, she would love you. Yeah. And, you know, expensive lifestyle, going to all these festivals. And so I could just kind of started dealing MDMA to kind of pay, my, pay for my tickets, pay for that whole lifestyle. And I guess like at first it was just like me dealing to my friends and then all of a sudden their friends were asking me and then all of a sudden like it kind of snowballed into this thing and next thing you know I'm being raided and cops are at my door and looking through my house and they find 28 grams of MDMA and then yeah I get sent to prison for two years and three months. Two years? Yeah, yeah I got two years, three months for Oh that. my god, yeah. is that... Light for considering American uh, standards? Yeah, no. Nah, so I did have a look around at the sentencing and mine was definitely on the heavier end of the spectrum. I think they wanted to make an example of me. I don't know why. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I ended up getting out on parole. Wow. Um, so I did 13 months in the end. Oh, uh, yeah. so you got out on, like, good behaviour? Yeah, okay. pretty much. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So... I'm going to say this, out of all my guests I've ever had, I've never had anyone who's been in prison, so uh, please say this, lady. But also, I've had, I mean, I had one guy who went close. He got close yeah, yeah. to prison. Uh, I'm obviously not going to say his name. Uh, but what was it like? What was it like on the first day? Right. I mean, is it as scary as it's cracked up to be in the TV shows and movies? Probably not like that. But look, like prior to prison, like I was just dealing to like uni students and like not really like I wasn't really a part of like the criminal lifestyle mm. or anything. So like being in this environment around these people who have just like lived this life, um, it was quite intimidating for sure, for sure. And there's a lot of unspoken rules in prison that you're just expected to know. And a lot of that I had to learn the hard way. 
uh, um, if you don't mind me asking, what are some of these unspoken rules? Um, yeah, just like not speaking to the screws, the um, security guards in the prisons. You don't say anything to them. If any issues pop up, don't say anything. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably the main one. Just like no snitching, pretty much. No snitching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And is the food as bad as they say it is? Look, it started off pretty bad in Hakia. That 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 was not good, man. <laughs> what were they selling you? What were they giving you? Like um, some sludge? Yeah, pretty much sludge. Really? I remember lunch was like, it was the weirdest fucking combo. It was like pasta with cold sausages or some shit. And I was like, the, like who thought of this? Like, mm. it, it was not great. Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. But then once I got to Acacia, um, I worked my way up to self-care, which is like if you prove you're like a good behaving prisoner, they'll put you into self-care. And you you get put in a pod of six people. Uh, each of you have your own cell. And then you get like a certain amount of money. You do like a full grocery shop. Really? Um, people cook, people are like cooking all the dinner. Like you cook it all yourself pretty much. Wow. Um, and that's when like, that was probably like the most, the closest to outside of prison food that I got. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And what 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 was uh what was the process? What what was the first thing you did when you got out? That's a bigger question. I'd like to ask. What was the first thing I because people I tell. I mean, whenever you watch those TVs or movies, because yeah. I've always after the food is as bad. Because the first thing they do when they get yeah. out is they go to I don't know McDonald's or something yeah, and they get yeah, a burger. Yeah. So what was your first thing you did after? Um. Well, yeah. First, I thought I was it was going to be a lot of fun when I got out, but. There was a lot of uh, stuff I had to set up. Like I had to go get a mobile, had to set up Centrelink, had to like set up all this stuff, had to go to my halfway house because they put you in like a halfway house when you get out. So for those who don't know what a halfway house, what is it? It's kind of like just accommodation for you until to get you on your feet. They give you like a few months to find something after that and then you get moved on pretty quickly. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Like, so uh, yeah, I was in East Fremantle, which was a really cool area, like right by the river. Um and yeah, I think I went into Frio and just like got a went to like a cafe and got like a coffee and I was like, wow, like I haven't tasted good coffee in a long time. Oh. Um, yeah, wow. I think that was one of the first things I did. Yeah. And then once once you got out, like, uh, did you have to see like a parole officer? Or yeah, okay? yeah. So yeah, they have you on like, I think they start you off on like weekly appointments and then as it gradually goes on, they I think it was monthly by the end of my um parole yeah okay and so we're all good now yeah like (laughs) fuck (laughs) uh yeah i went down a bit of a fucking spiral when i got out to be honest with you bro what happened um like there's just ways of being in prison that you don't even realize that you've picked up and then there wasn't like there came a time when i was going to uni one day um and I, oh yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah. Um, I was going to Curtin Uni one day. I was on this bus. It was literally the bus was full, bro. It, like every seat, seat was ta- taken. People were standing from the front of the ba- bus to the back of the bus, but no one would sit next to me. Like no one would sit next. And I was like, Surely that, they didn't know. Did they know? I think it was just the vibe that like it's that vibe that you put on. Okay. Like when you're in prison, you have to have this vibe about you. Like don't fuck with me. Mm. Um. And you don't even, like, I didn't even realize that I had that still afterwards um, until that moment. And I was like, shit, like, I must be putting out some kind of, like, energy for people not to want to sit, sit next to me. And that's when I started, um, yeah, I guess realizing that, yeah, that just this behavior and way of being that prison had put into me. Um, 
And I found it very hard just catching up with mates and, you know, they'd all moved on with their lives and they'd bought houses and they've got girlfriends, they're getting married. And, like, it's it's like I felt like that I'd just kind of been stuck in time almost and I found it very hard to relate to them anymore. Um, just the, peop- the people and conversations I was having in jail, like, I don't know, it, changed, uh, it definitely changed me. And so... And I found it hard, to, very hard to trust people as well. Wow. Very hard mm. to trust people because okay. obviously you can't really trust anyone inside. Mm. And so what do I do? I start hanging out with people that I met in jail because that's like the most familiar. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And do you still keep in touch with these people? A few of them I do. Okay. A few of them I do. But um, yeah, some of the ones that I was keeping in touch with afterwards, not, not the best idea. Yeah, got myself into some shit. Almost fucked up my parole. Um, really yeah 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 wow <clears throat> yeah so i guess how do i even get into this so yeah i was just hitting the drugs hard when i after i got out very hard like well what are we talking here we're talking marijuana we're talking heroin we're talking smack we're talking um cocaine meth bro hitting meth hard. oh my hitting god hard yeah Oh my I, I, God. I was dabbling with a lot of different drugs here and there before going in but after i came out like like before, I was just like, "Oh yeah, have a pipe, smoke, have a smoke." But when I got out, bro, it was shooting up. It was going out to people's houses and robbing their houses to like pay for my habit. Um, and you know, eventually, people that I was hanging around with were go- getting sent back to prison one by one. And one of my mates, he stopped doing it completely because he had a kid, and he's like, "Mate, you need to get out of this. You need to stop." And okay, I don't know. I don't obviously I don't want to push the pen too much man but one thing I, I, I ask is did you have a moment where something happened you were just like fuck I can't keep doing this yeah did you have that moment yeah like, I, I don't I don't I know did. what you call I don't, it's, it's got a name for it but when people I've spoken to a few addicts in my time uh nothing too crazy like I've spoken to guys who are um was I've spoken to a lot of guys you know spoken to a few who have been alcoholics Guys have been addicted to pain medications because I speak to quite a lot of fighters. Yep. Um, I've spoken to a lot of guys my age and a little bit older who are porn addicts. That's another story on its oh, own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's crazy. It's actually, yeah. that's another conversation on its own. In a couple of weeks, I'm actually having a doctor on who's, uh, he specializes in helping uh, people recover from pornography. All right. So watch out for that. Yeah, but uh, that's, that's a new thing. But they all tell me they have a moment where, you know, they were doing something and, you know, one guy like crashed his car behind the wheel because he fell asleep from his pain medication or one dude nearly drank himself to death, like, again, too hardcore. Was there a moment where you have like, fuck, i got to stop doing this? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, so, yeah, like I was saying, all my mates that I was hanging around with were getting caught for what we were doing and going back to jail. And then it just became me doing it on my own. And one night I jumped over this fence, had a look at this house, nothing to was standing out to me so I jumped back over and then I was on my way home and on my way home I I looked down and my leg had been cut open bro it was literally cut open I could see down to the bone I was like fuck I got on the phone to my mate I was like you need need to take me to hospital like I've really fucked up bad how far up leg was the cut uh so it's on my calf I've got a big scar from it still really and yeah the doctor had a look at it and he's like man that was a few centimeters from your artery you were so fucking lucky to be here still Cause yeah, I would have just bled out on the pavement and I ended up getting like they've tracked the DNA and, um, charged me for trespass for that. 
And so that that was like I was a month away from finishing my parole, so it was very fucking stupid. How old were you at the time? Uh, I would have been twenty four, I think. Twenty four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then, what happened? Like, did they just like let? You, did they let you off with a warning? So or? yeah, I, I got a pretty decent lawyer, and the judge like looked at my record and looked at me, and um, yeah, they pretty much gave me a second chance and told me like, but if you fuck up again, like. That's it. Like you're going back in. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, but I thought I thought I was going back to jail for sure. Like wow. Yeah. yeah. So well, I was very lucky. So then, then what happened? As soon as you got out there, was it like a couple of deep breaths? Like holy fuck! <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit. But at the same time, I was still like, I just, I don't know. I was just stuck in this mindset of I, like, I just don't really give a fuck. Like I just don't care. Like I just given up on myself. And um, but it wasn't until I was having this conversation with a bloke who just got out himself and we were talking about footy stars and ones that have thrown their careers away to, you know, be about that life. And this guy was just kind of saying to me, like, you got to choose one or the other. Like, you can't just be doing both. Mm-hmm. It's going to catch up to you eventually. And I, that's when I really saw in my head that there were, I was at this crossroads in my life that... I couldn't just continue like living these two lives. I had to choose one or the other. And yeah, that's when I like started getting off the drugs, started hang- stop, um, stopping being around those kind of people that were doing into all that shit. What, what did you have to go through to like stop getting off those drugs and stop being around those people? Was uh, it like some, did you ever do like some sort of 12 step program like addicts go through or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was going to like um, NA sessions and all that. Yeah. So that helped me out a lot. And, but I think that the thing that helped me out the most was just committing myself to, um, like my uni work and my, and acting. I think that was really what kept me off the most, like just telling myself, like, if you want to do these things, like you can't be doing drugs cause it's just not gonna, it's just not gonna mix, you know? Wow. Yeah. Shit. Did you... When you had that all that going down, were you still in uni at the time? I was, yeah. 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 So I didn't speak about this, but after that drama program got cancelled, I was looking for something else that I could do that I could continue on the outside. And I was speaking to the lady in education and she was uh, talking about this JEDA program, which is a, a program Curtin runs for people who are in prison. Mm-hmm. It's an art program. And like I was super into art as a kid, but like I hadn't done it in really in high school or anything. But I was like, just got to go for it, you know, give myself something to kind of have on when I'm out that I can kind of work towards. So, yeah, that's kind of what got me into this degree that I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like, so what, what, what was it that about that got you into art was a kid, as you know, was it the classic, you know, drawing dicks <laughs> on the school toilets <laughs> or... Oh. I don't know. I was just super artistic as a kid. And I remember my mom telling me like all the other kids would do like one or two paintings and then that'd be them done. But the teacher would always tell my mom like Chris just doesn't stop. Like he would just keep painting and like I'd, I'd be doing like 10, 12, like I just wouldn't stop. Um, but I think like during primary school and high school, that just kind of that part of me just, I don't know, just got drilled out of me. Mm, yeah interesting yeah, yeah. and then you discovered it again in prison yeah, and it's held you on yeah well that, that's a very important thing i was going to mention so 
obviously I'm not an expert, so I've got to disclose this. Um, if anyone's listening to this and you're going through something, I recommend you get proper help. Don't don't listen to me. I'm a moron. But people who are addicts in some sense, they have. I don't I don't know if it comes down to an addictive personality, but they have to focus on something that's going to replace what they're going into. So, for example, if someone is you know an alcohol addict and they have to find something that is going to give them some kind of reward system in which that does. So some people, they get super involved in maybe exercise or maybe they pick up a hobby that they get super into and then they involve in it. And I feel like also people do have like, I do believe I've read about addictive personalities. So say for example, you meet those kind of people in life. I would say sometimes I would be close, I would be close to it, but you meet them and like, if they do something that if they fi- try something and absolutely hate it, they will not go anywhere near it, no matter how much you try them in the world. But mm. if they find something they absolutely love, they will absolutely smash it. And I feel like that's what some people go through when they go through things like uni or they go through things like profes- profession. They put all their eggs into this basket and then they put give it 100%. And I think that's that can be the, ca- the case. Uh, so when you were, obviously when you were studying and all that, was there any point where you realized, fuck, you know, maybe I do have something for me on the other side? Like, was there a moment where you came across where you were uh, you were super heavily into it and you realized, oh, fuck, this is what I'm going to do? Honestly, it was probably that moment after, after that whole experience and that I just fully committed myself into it and I started doing like outside of um, uni acting classes and put on a few plays and stuff. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like this is bringing me so much joy doing this stuff. Um, Like I definitely want to continue on this path. And yeah, so yeah, that kind of led me to at the end of 2019, I went on a study abroad and I went to America. Really? Moved to America. Yeah, yeah. And... I was kind of in my head, I was like, I'm just going to move over there, do my semester and then kind of stay there and just see what I can do. If I can like get some acting work or what I can do. But obviously 2020 COVID comes along. Mm. So that kind of fucks up that whole plan and oh, yeah. I come back here. But that was kind of a blessing in, dis- in disguise in a way because, um, yeah, so last year I finished my diploma of acting at WAPA, so I was very blessed to get into it. Wow, to congratulations. Get, yeah, no, thank you very much. Yeah. I know how hard it is to get into those yeah. uh, those programs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, people told me about the criteria that they got to go through. So how many years did you spend at WAPA? Was it three? It was it was a one-year course. Oh, one-year yeah, course. And what did yeah. you do? I did a diploma of acting. Diploma of acting. Yeah. And since then, has anything like happened? Like been, is this something that you're trying to get into right now in terms of like with gigs or? Yeah. So there's a um, community theatre project I'm working on at the moment. You might know the movie. Do you know the movie Full, The Full Monty? Of course. Yeah. 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 So we're doing that. Oh, putting dude. That, on. <laughs> that is fucking perfect. <laughs> that is perfect considering how we know each other. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the case, I could say you're a method actor now. Oh, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. So what's your character then? Um, so I'm playing Guy, who's kind of like the eye candy of the whole group. Oh, um, yeah. 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 The, yep. the young fit one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, re- I remember that. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. So. So when's this whole thing going down? Uh, so we'll be performing end of May, start of June. We've got nine dates 
um, over three weekends. So, yeah, <sighs> very keen. Very wow, yeah. wow. What is it about act? Um, I think I was gonna say is what is it about acting that some people, a lot of people, find so attractive? Like, what is it about being someone else that most people enjoy the most? Um. Like what is it? Uh, let's, let's throw it down a little bit. Actually, what what do you what do you what is it about acting that you enjoy so much about it? That's one thing I'm going to ask. I think yeah, exactly what you said. Like, just trying to understand someone else's perspective and trying to put that on, and you know, wear that for a while and see see what you can come up with. Um, but also just telling stories. Like I love telling stories, especially you know. People voices who aren't heard as much. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the the core thing that I love about acting, just the ability to share stories and tell stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I just absolutely love. I've never really actually ever done something like that in my lifetime. But the closest thing I could ever do was when we were in obviously you know me from the entertainment industry. Yeah. When you go on stage, it's kind of a personality on its own. But the other right. closest thing I've ever done to it was. Back in university, I actually used to do uh, stand-up comedy in uh, open mic oh, nights. No way. Yeah, so I'd always put on this <coughs> personality yeah. myself. You'd go up there and you'd say bullshit, yeah. but this is a character that you're playing, yeah. and they get super, super into it. And it's, it's something that they develop. It's almost like another personality of themselves. It's mm. Another thing I enjoyed the most is wrestlers, like WWE-style oh, wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. They play a character, you know, yeah, like The do. Undertaker, yeah. Triple H, yeah. John Cena. They yeah. are playing something. It's like almost like another limb of themselves, and then they develop it, and it's almost like an open book. Uh, so that's why – but I've never really done anything like that in terms of acting. But lately I've gained a whole new respect for it because when you're in the entertainment industry – and you're trying to play another character. Obviously, you have your own name. You go up on stage. You're trying to be someone else. I'm like, oh, so this is what it is in some to some degree. Uh, is this something that you just discovered as well in prison, or was it something you did as well as a kid? Um, I think it was something I just discovered in prison. I mean, yeah. me and my sister always used to play these games. I mean, as you do when you're kids of like pretending to be like, having little toys and pretending, playing, putting on voices, and you know all that kind of stuff. But I never really thought of it as something I would want to do as a career, I guess, until I did that course in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did yeah. what they have you doing prison prison with the course? Did they just have you writing scripts? Have you doing scenes or? What? Yeah, they had us doing scenes. They had us um, doing a whole bunch of like relaxation techniques, and there's a bit of a few yoga sessions and stuff like that. Um, doing accents. Yeah, just all kinds of exercises and games, like lots of drama games as well. Those were really fun. Um, yeah, we did some. We had like a comedy club going, which was like improv comedy. Which oh, that's get improv scares the shit out of me. But it does. It does. Because yeah. but I only say I only did it for a year. But when you when you do something, when you look at something from an outside perspective, obviously you're like, oh yeah, they do that. Or, that looks easy. But when you actually do the actual thing itself, you're like, holy shit, this is another (laughs) thing on its own. So getting up on stage itself is nerve-wracking. Talking itself is nerve-wracking. And was it trying to make people laugh on its own is nerve-wracking. And really, you got to get down and always ask yourself, like, how much do I really, really enjoy this? Because Mm -hmm. there was something I had a conversation with a a friend the other day. He, He himself does comedy and all that. And you... 
you have to do, if you want to succeed in something, you have to do it for the sake of doing it. And what I mean by that is, uh, what's the best way I can put it? He, he actually compared it to Picasso. So Picasso, uh, you know, was a famous painter. He was yeah. painting well up into his 80s when he was almost pretty much dead. Yeah. And he loved to paint for the sake of painting. He never painted because he wanted to be rich or famous or well-known. He did it for the sake of it. And it's got to be like that with other professions, and especially like this. I always tell people, like, I don't have a plan with this. I don't know where this is going to go. I do it for the sake of doing it because I actually really enjoy just talking to people and hearing their stories. And the main thing for me is because I'm actually lucky to have the gift of hearing myself because when I was three years old, I contracted meningitis and septicemia, and that's when I lost my hearing. Wow. So, yeah, I had to go through two rounds of operations, one when I was three, so if you, if you don't, people listening, I have what's called a cochlear implant where they cut open your head and they put in a wire through an, uh, the skull, through the nerve, and then they put like a little, it's like a little magnet in there. So what I do is I have like, which is almost like a hearing device, which hooks onto my ear and it has like a magnet strapped to my head. Oh, no way. So I'm lucky to be even here. So that's yeah. why I like to have these kind of conversations because that's what I remind myself of pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so that's the main thing that I w always just point, point away is that people do things for this. If, if you really want to be successful in it, you have to ask yourself why you're doing it. And if there is a simple reason or a deep reason as pretty much just do it for the sake of it, then you really can get successful for it. Anyway, so moving on from there, I wanted to hear about like what happened for you in this American program? Like what did you get over there for a while and then did you uh, have to come back because of COVID? Or? Yeah, so I was just there for three months in the end. Uh, it was only three months. It was a really, it was an awesome three months. I met a lot of cool people over there, and oh, just the fact that you're Australian, like all of, all the girls just love you, bro. <laughs> as soon as you say I'm from Australia, girls just <laughs> oh, I miss that. <laughs> is, is there like a misconception that people have of Australian from America? Is there like sorry a misconception that Americans have Australia? Uh, like, like we all we they think we're all like kangaroos in our backyards. Yeah, and no, they do. And pets. Yeah. yeah, no, they they actually do. So that was kind of surprising to people who were seriously asking me questions like that, and I'd be like, okay, <laughs> all right, yeah. Sometimes I just play along, but other times, yeah, I'd be like, no, it's not actually like that. So, which American university did you go to? So I went to Concordia University, which is in Irvine, in Orange County, in uh, California. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. California. Yeah, man. What's it like over there? I love it, man. Um, my mom's actually my mom is born and raised in Orange County. So really? Yeah. So I have a big connection to California and just yeah. So I I absolutely love it. Do you still have family there? I do. Yeah, and I got to meet my grandpa, who's ninety years old now. Holy shit! Yeah. So that was amazing. I hadn't seen him since I was like fourteen. Wait, were you born there? No, I wasn't born there. No, 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 no okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. So. But your mum was... Yeah, she was, yeah. Okay, yeah. And what about your dad? Uh, he was born in Holland, so... Oh, yeah. so you're American. Dutch American. And, uh, mix yeah. and match that, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And did they meet here in Australia? Yeah, or? they met here. Yeah. Uh, I see, I see. So that's putting the pieces together. So what happened then as soon as, like, when COVID hit, like, did you have a decision, like, yeah, I'm either going to stay here or I'm going to come back? And Yeah, pretty much. And I was set on staying. I was like, I'm just going to uh, weather this storm and just keep going and see where... how. Um, what I can do but like the college was literally being evacuated like so many people were leaving um, so just seeing all these people leaving I was like fuck like do I really just want to stay here and just be locked in this dorm um, and you know I was having phone calls with friends and my mom and they were like just come back just come back it's safer in Australia 
but I was just so like committed to staying out there. But then I just made a, a snap decision and I bought a ticket the next day to come back uh, to Australia. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Do you have any plans? Do you have any intentions of going back there? 100%. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I w- I've I've not, I have a couple of friends, buddies of mine who did do study abroad in America. The first thing they told me was that it was a bit of a culture shock. Like, usually are American people more aggressive. Uh, I don't know about aggressive, but yeah, they are like a bit louder. They are. Um, uh, I think that the biggest culture shock for me, honestly, was just the food. Like, you go to a, like a fast food place, and you know, in Australia, like the water is like a big fucking button. But yeah. in America, it's like a tiny little button you have to find. Like, it's it's weird, man. And that was that was a big shock. Just trying to find like healthy food because there's so much shit food there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that. So every country has its own like, uh, what's it called? Has its own uh, own culture when it comes to food. Yeah, you know, Indian people, you know, Asian people, and, and British people, such as myself. We've got like uh, roast dinners and tea, even yeah. though tea is not British. It's <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, but you know, we have our own like sweets and lollies and all that sort of stuff. But then in America, they're just known for highly processed sugars and yeah. so refined sugars and highly processed oil. They have yeah. like pretty much every fast food under the sun That's over right. there. That's right. And then it's hard to actually just get like a decent food and meal and all that, but. When you when you came back, then then what happened for you? Like, did you have a plan, or did you know what you were gonna do when you got back? Or was I it? had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. I I was pretty depressed when I came back, to be honest, because obviously it was just like coming to terms that my whole plan of like staying there and living there was no longer a reality, and I had to stay with my mum who lived in Narragin at the time, which is like quite far away in the country. It's like two and a half hours out of Perth. I, so I don't know. That was all, so that was all like throughout isolation. So I was just like very isolated. I didn't know anyone in the town. Um, but yeah, I just did a lot of reflecting and yeah, I just, just kept coming back to like acting and I, I did some online courses and I like bought some books and I was reading some acting books and I started doing like self tapes Um yeah, that's when you like film yourself recording a scene. Um, so I started doing that all throughout isolation. I was like, yeah, just got to keep up the work workflow, um, keep improving. And yeah, eventually I came back to Perth after all the isolation stuff, stuff stopped. And yeah, it wasn't until the end of that year that I was like, oh, I'd like really like to audition for Whopper and just like, just to see, you know. Okay. What did they have you doing for that? Uh, so we had to do one Shakespeare monologue. What was, did you do? I what did I do? I did um, oh, I did. I did Macbeth. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah. But that was my first time ever doing Shakespeare. So I was reading it and I was really? just like, "What the fuck is this?" Uh, I was so confused. Yeah. Um, we used to read that all the time back in England. When I was a kid, we had to read Shakespeare. Oh, really? The same thing. I had to do a little bit in high school and I had yeah. to do a little bit in university. We did the uh, we did the Merchant of Venice. Oh uh, yeah. So that was that was actually one of my favorites. So yeah. I was already quite familiar with the text. So that's why it was pretty much free. Yeah, but. Shakespeare pretty much invented his own language. So, <laughs> yeah. so you had to do one Shakespeare text and anything else? And a contemporary text as well. Okay, so yeah. what was your contemporary text that you chose? Um, it was... Was it the Joker scene in uh, Batman the Dark Knight? I wish, man. I hear people choose that one quite often. Yeah, like they have like a set 
um, set ones that you can choose. Like it's not like you choose your own one. Oh, okay. I'm trying to remember what I did. I can't even remember. I just remember my – oh, no, I know what I did. I did Lo- Lone Star. It's like this play about like Southern American um, – this guy and the his first ever time having sex. It's really funny. It's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> I did like the accent and everything. Um, yeah, no, that was that was a very nice, very enough. And so, what's happened to you since you got out? Then, I mean, whatever thing I was just thinking to myself was this: going through America, going through Whopper, going through all these acting courses and COVID and all that. You stayed clean the whole time. Yeah, it, I actually surprised myself. I yeah, I was nearly off drugs and alcohol for three years, wow. and my entire time in America, I did not have any drugs or alcohol. Wow! And I was well, that's, for, that's even more surprising. Yeah, I was there for New Year's and everything. So, um, yeah, I did on my birthday last year. I kind of did start drinking again because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I can do it and it's not going to become a problem. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, that's good. That's yeah. a very good thing. Yeah. So, uh, in a way that you found a way to sort of control it. Yeah. I mean, people who, again, I'm not an expert, but some that I've spoken to, they never really like fully get away from their addiction. They have a, str- a period where they stay sober for a while and then they learn to heal the trauma and they forgive themselves and forgive others of the trauma. But, and then they sort of find a way to like sort of control it. So you could go from, you know, some people are alcoholics and they go to completely sober for the rest of their life and good for them. But then some people just control it, but they will never return to as bad as it was for them because they've learned to heal and forget for them. But like for you, how long was the period between like going sober to that drink then? It was like two years and nine months or something like that. It was very wow. close to three years. Wow. Yeah, it was very close to three years. So... What was it then that made like, allowed you to keep going? Um, to continue being sober? You yeah, mean? yeah. Just, I don't know, holding on to like, I just didn't want to go back to how I was. I think that's what it was at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to go back to prison. I didn't want to go back to how my life was before. And I didn't want to, I didn't want that so badly that that's like, I was able to stay sober for that period of time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So was there any like, was there a time where you got really, really like challenged? Oh, just, yeah. Yeah. A lot of times like going out with friends, going clubbing and stuff and you're sober and everyone's just, you know, drunk or off their head and you're like, just standing there awkwardly like, shit, I could really go for a drink right now. <laughs> and what would you do? Did you have anything um, you would say? Do you have any routines that you would do and all that? I mean, I would just get Sprite or get soda water. I don't know, something like that. And, or I'd probably, a lot of the time I was just leaving early and it just came, got to a point where I was like, you know what? I think it's easier if I just don't go out like full stop Mm. because I'm just getting tempted every single time I go out. Yeah. 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 I don't know the name of the doctor itself, but you might've known this about the rats experiment. The idea that they believe that some addictions are uh, fueled by the environment they're in. So there's a story, there's a study where this guy took this rat and he put him in isolation and then they had like some sort of cocaine water. And then they would, the rats who were in isolation who would drink the cocaine water became addicted to a point where they would actually kill themselves. And there were the rats who 
didn't have the cocaine water they were absolutely fine so then they put those rats in some kind of like rat park and all that were in an environment where they were around females around males and they had all these toys to play with and all that and then they had the uh what's it called uh they had the cocaine water and had the regular water the ones that touched the cocaine water they never ever bothered to go back to it and all that Mm -hmm. because they didn't need to they didn't feel that they need to so it's sort of the same with humans yeah when people who go through some form of addiction an early early uh step they feel as if they go for they have to identify triggers in an environment in which they're in so they say for example people who are like gambling addicts and all that you know the one thing they got to do is stay away from the pub you know try not to watch the sport as much you know stay away from those friends who tell people you know who who are help who pretty much help fuel it in a way so that's the main thing, but for you to be in that environment and around it and still stay strong, that's a very, very powerful thing yeah. and all that. Is this something that you've ever helped with, uh, helped out any fellow addicts or share a story with anyone or help maybe help someone along that path? I, like I've shared my story when I've gone to like AA meetings and stuff like that. I wouldn't say I've ever really like been a sponsor for anyone or like given anyone guidance or anything. Is it um, something you not just never thought of, or yeah, just never thought about it? Yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah. But definitely feel like, yeah, I'm always down to help people. So, mm. yeah, maybe in the future, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. So, what's what's our current plan right now? Do um, we have something we're trying to get back into, or do we have any big projects coming up? Um, yeah, I mean, I told you about uh, the community theatre project. I'm doing. I'm in my final semester at Curtin, so that's going to be quite big for me because I've been studying since 2000, end of 2016, um, this degree. So just finishing that and, you know, I started this in prison. So, um, yeah, no, it's just going to be a really big moment for me, I think, finishing this off because I never thought I would go to uni. I was a terrible student in high school. Terrible, yeah. 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 I didn't rock up to some of my TEE exams and... Yeah, I just never thought I'd go to uni. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Always had trouble concentrating and doing homework outside of class and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Then what happened after high school? Like, uh, since we discovered this in university, what did we do after high school? Um, Like, straight after high school? Yeah, yeah. I was just doing courses and dropping out. Like, I did a programming course at TAFE. I was, like, a month or two in, dropped out. Then I did... Uh, fitness set three and four got to the very end dropped out really yeah so i was just doing all these courses and then just dropping out i just yeah yeah wow yeah uh, i mean you're a pretty big guy and uh, i know you train a lot and all <laughs> that is that something you'd ever try and get back into or? yeah definitely i i do have plans to finish off go back and finish off my cert three and four um i think that'd definitely be something good to have behind me for sure um yeah because training's all I mean, especially after prison has become a huge part of my life. Um, yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you about. So now for those who don't know, this guy's a big motherfucker. <laughs> so <laughs> is it something you discovered in prison or something before prison or after prison? Or? Like I was kind of into it, but I wasn't like f- super into it before prison. Um, I mean, I went just to tell you, I went into prison. I was 73 kilos. Like if you can imagine me, 73 kilos, I'm 91 kilos right now. <laughs> And you're six foot two? Six foot three, yeah. Six foot three. <laughs> so I was just like a stick, bro. 
Oh, sorry, um, I think there was a line of ladies knocking on the door. <laughs> Six foot three, daddy, daddy, wonky legs, very nice, very nice. All right, um, so that was something you discovered in prison. Yeah, I just I was hitting training hard, what, what, hard. Did they even have any equipment? Did they have a gym in prison, or was it, it just was like calisthenics? Just, like it was like calisthenics, okay, bro. So it's like it the scene in the yard. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It was all like a, you know, in the movies. You're doing the pull ups and push ups and stuff in the cell. Yeah, just, pretty much, pretty yeah, okay. much. But yeah, I got the biggest that I ever got whilst I was in there. Like I came out, I was like 83 or 84 kilos. Wow. Yeah. And there was like a, at one do the final, the minimum security prison I was at, there, we had like a competition mm-hmm. um, of who could like lift. It was like a powerlifting competition. Really? Of. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really cool. I got pound for pound, like strongest. Wow. Yeah. So that, that, that was, that was pretty cool. And yeah, I guess I just continued going to the gym after I got out and kind of concurrent with like me getting off drugs and getting away from that lifestyle. I was at the gym and there was a guy who was uh, training for a bodybuilding competition. Really? In yeah. prison? Oh, no, no, no. This is what, once I got out. Oh, sorry. Out. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I lost it. Yeah, you're gone. Yeah. I'm and he was like, oh, bro, you should train for this competition as well. And I was like, oh, I've always thought about doing a competition. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. Okay. And so I started like following his program, following his diet as well. Um, got a coach on board and yeah, did my first men's physique competition in 2018 with wow. I, um, with ICN. How did um, that go? Yeah, it went really well. I like placed kind of in the middle. I was up against some really heavy hitters. Like one of the guys, he went on to win like states. Like, mm. yeah, he was in top nick. Um, but no, I thought for my first time I did very well. Yeah, yeah. I- I also rate that highly because you also gave you something to focus on, very, very big focus on because I've been quite critical (laughs) of bodybuilding in the past. I mean, I do speak to quite a few bodybuilders and friends with plenty, nothing against it. But it's one of those, it's probably one of the hardest things in terms of, um, because it it requires so much mental focus. It's Mm. every meal that you have, every step you take, every training session, hours of sleep, Everything that goes into it is so heavily critical and it needs something that's like a hundred percent focus on, you know, a hundred percent dedication. And, but it's, it's good because it gives some people, it gives people that sense of drive. Generally people don't, when they find some, obviously like if we come back to when they find something they enjoy, it gives them a sense of purpose in their life to actually work towards. And one thing I'm always talking about, uh, when it comes to like goal setting is you got to find your next mission, you know? So for some people it can be like, um, I have speak to a lot of jujitsu guys. So they're always training for the next competition. They're training for the next grade and they're training for the next match, training for the next belt or whatever. And that's what helps give them a little drive because when people go through life and they're in some sort of state of free flow where they're not working towards anything, they kind of feel sometimes lost. Mm. It's okay. But well, um, they, well, people can generally agree when they're working towards something, everything else that's going on around them doesn't matter, you know? And that's one thing I'm telling, uh, especially young men these days is because nobody really cares what someone's saying about them when they're working towards something. No one cares about, you know, what he said or she said when they're disciplined or when they have drive towards a goal. So was there something you just did once or was it something like you try and do again or... Uh, like, 
It was it was a really good experience, and it taught me a lot about myself. And like I said, it, it was something I did kind of concurrently as I was trying to get away from that lifestyle. And it like like you just said, like it really gave me a focus, like a goal to work towards. Um, obviously, you can't be drinking or taking drugs while you're going through this prep. So that was kind of my my first mm-hmm. long period of sobriety, mm-hmm. and that really showed me that I can like stay away from all of that. I found like afterwards, like I didn't really, you need to have like a solid plan, like um, diet to kind of bring your body back to where it was. And I was just overeating. Really? Yeah. I couldn't stop eating because you're just starving your body for so long. It just goes into starvation mode and I just could not stop eating. And I think I put on like 10 kilos in a few weeks, man. Um, (sighs) Wow. Yeah, it was, it was rough. And I just went into this real, like, just low period, really low mood for like a month afterwards. So I didn't really plan that too well. I found it was quite harsh on my body. Um, I've considered doing it again, but I'm not too sure. Maybe, possibly. These are the things that people don't really talk about when it comes to those bodybuilding competitions. And that's the one, one of the reasons why I've just, like, been so, like, hesitant towards it as yeah. well, like... Once you step off stage, the work's not done. You got to, like, it takes, how long was your prep? Three months? Uh, yeah, it was about three months. I think I did a longer one. I was like 20 weeks. 20 weeks? Yeah, it was a long prep. Yeah. So they go through that and then they don't understand. They have to go for a period where they ease out of it because yeah, your body's right. already in starvation mode. You have to do like a reverse diet. Yeah, reverse dieting. That's uh, right. Yeah. Still got to do cardio. Still got to get up. Still got to get steps in. Still got to train. Still got to restrict a certain amount of calories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and... So once you did the bodybuilding competition and you got out, what happened then? Um, yeah, I guess it just really proved to me what I'm capable of when I put my mind to something. And it just gave me even more drive um, to keep working towards my goals, to keep um, yeah putting my energy into my degree in art and my acting stuff. Yeah, yeah, it just really proved to me what you can do when you put your mind to something. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So there's something I always like to do at the end of every uh, podcast episode. And, you know, with these episodes, obviously once it's out there, people can watch this years from now. So it's going to be out there on the internet forever and all that sort of stuff. But if you see yourself from three years from now, Chris, what do you see yourself doing? Considering you've gone through everything that you've gone through to get to where you are, and you're only what twenty nine? Yeah, I'm twenty nine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do I think I would be doing in three years? Yeah, it's a question that most yeah. people need a little bit of time to think about. So take your time. Right. But yeah, because a lot for you, think about where you were three years ago. Were you, who were you? I mean, three years ago, you were. Were you still in jail at the time? Um. Or? So that would have been two thousand nineteen. So. That was like two years post jail, getting out of jail. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that was kind of just as I started getting on the whole sober train and yeah, <laughs> really working on myself, doing self development and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Three years time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, hopefully doing acting as like a full-time career, I th- I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah, that's good to hear. All right. Um, just before we cap this off, man, uh, obviously this is also routine as well. But if the audience wants to follow you at all, where can they find you, man? Um, yeah, follow me on Instagram at Chris Dolkins. 
that's probably the best place. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. And before we finish up, man, is there any quick shout outs or anyone you want to thank before we wrap this up? Um, yeah, I wanted to shout out Ray. He was the one who like got me into the bodybuilding competition. Um, yeah, shout out Compton again for getting me into the uh, acting program. Nice. Yeah. Um, any other shout outs? I think that's it, bro. Oh, cool. Yeah, just shout you out. Bro. Thank <laughs> you, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Again, that's all man. good, man. Yeah. This is this is what I do. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. You listen to the Last Set Podcast with one only Joe Turner and Chris Dawkins. Take care, guys. Happy Easter. <laughs>